This week's podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going all the way back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member and I also serve on the Dallas DU committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born and more, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities, to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Yeah, dear cocaine and flavored corn. New grunt calls and rattling horns. Doing heat or red fox pee. We'll do anything to trick on you see. I become a steaming mastermind. And a white tail deceiver when I get a bad kiss of that bitch. Cable Smith, welcome everybody into episode 671 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms, Big Buck Fever, the name of that one from Sam Moore. Uh, couldn't be more appropriate with today's uh, conversation that we've got lined up for you. Yeah, well, big bucks make people do the damnedest things. And yeah, we've got a, a crazy one from Idaho. But more on that in a second, you know, uh, turkey season is here and I am leaving, well, I'm actually leaving Monday, taking uh, Henry and Stella out of school for three days to head down to the King Ranch to chase, which hopefully will end up being their first gobblers. Uh, they, neither one of them has ever been on a turkey hunt. They've spent many a days in the a blind whitetail hunting with dad and Henry's killed uh, three whitetails and a black buck. So uh, Stella though has never taken an animal of any kind, but uh, the allure of getting out of school to go to the Turkey woods with dad was just too much. And even though her twin sister is staying behind, yeah, she is all gung ho to get out there and uh, hopefully smack a gobbler upside the head. That reminds me, gotta buy her hunting license uh henry has his from deer season but uh, anyway hope you all are getting into the turkey woods this spring uh what are we doing today let me tell you you know what to do pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire pour yourself another cup of black rifle coffee out of granddaddy's beat up old stanley thermos because we are ready to rock and roll and so joining us for the duration of today's presentation we've got idaho fish and game Game warden, Chad Whipperman, and lifelong hunter, outdoorsman, and wolf trapping aficionado, Vinny Renucci here 
as they recently worked hand-in-hand to bring justice to Idaho's wildlife, specifically uh, a giant mule deer who unfortunately was poached right out from under Vinny, which he was less than thrilled about. Uh, (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. But uh, it's an interesting relationship between ethical hunters who are out there trying to do the right thing and game wardens who oftentimes rely on the respectable hunters among us to uh, to give them tips and information on would-be or actual poachers. And that's what happened here. As Vinny was able to provide some valuable information, uh, it won't bring this buck back that he was chasing for multiple seasons, but I guess that's the next best thing. I don't know. I'd be so pissed. I, I know Vinny was and probably still is. Uh, and that's why he wants to come on the show to talk about it. And it's really not just about this one dude, this poacher from Idaho. It's more about game wardens and hunters working together to protect our wildlife resources. So with all that being said, a fascinating tale to get into here on today's broadcast. Before we take that on, however, a quick giveaway. And with turkey season on everyone's brain, we're going to do the... Uh, the Raspy Old Hen Combo Kit from our friends over at HS Strut. This includes the Raspy Old Hen Box Call, Pot Call, and uh, the Premium Flex Raspy Old Hen Diaphragm Call. So if you're like me, you've probably got one of each in your turkey vest. Maybe you lost your diaphragm, though, from last season. I know I lose those dang things all the time. I was like, where did I put that thing? Or you put it in your pocket and you, you reach down in there for a your cell phone or something, and it falls out, and you don't even realize it. Um, Or maybe you've lost the striker to your pot call. Maybe you don't even have a pot call. Maybe all you've got is a box call. Whatever the case, this one has one of each. It's the Raspy Old Hen Combo Kit from HS Strut. And all you need to do to enter today's giveaway is just uh, email the word Rio. That's Rio, as in Rio Grande Turkey. Uh, Rio to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you were entered into today's Turkey Call prize pack giveaway from HS Strut. Let's knock out that break. Up next, Idaho Fish and Game Game Warden Chad Whipperman and Hunter Vinny Bernucci join us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. For I am not insane, it may have what killed elders, and you can call me time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, Energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, They don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack 
that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. So where'd you go, mountain girl? Did you roll off to the Cap Rock City? If Idaho Falls can't help you, I don't know what would. But God, I hope you're doing good. There's our very own Shane Smith and the Saints bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. It's great to be here with you as always as we're about to head up to Idaho for a, uh, a poaching story that I guess you could say had about as happy of an ending as you could hope for. And we'll get into that momentarily. This segment, though, brought to you by... All seasons, feeders, and blinds. You know, I just renewed that contract, and I'm super excited because I've been working with All Seasons for about a dozen years. It's a family-owned company. It has been since uh, Mr. Gates founded it back in the mid-'80s, originating in South Texas. That's where deer feeders really sprang to life, and deer blinds, for that matter, like modern-day box blinds. It all came from South Texas once... uh, that brush country, once those genetics were discovered, like, wow, there's big deer down here. Well, that's uh, when All Seasons really began to pioneer their original feeder model. And here we are, what, almost 40 years later with uh, the second generation now running the company, Zach and Lindsay. Uh, but yeah, check out their entire lineup of blinds and feeders right over there at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, well, let's bring them on right now. Joining us from the great state of Idaho, it is my pleasure to welcome game warden Chad Whipperman and outdoorsman Vinny Renucci to the show. Yeah, not a problem. Good Thanks to, for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so first of all, Chad, how long have you been a uh, Idaho Fish and Game game warden? So I got hired in 2009, so that puts me around 14 years. Um yeah, been bounced around the state a little bit. I started in southern Idaho, um, in the Burley area, and then transferred up to uh, Riggins, and uh, and then bounced over to Salmon. So I'm in the Salmon region now, which is uh, we border Montana and uh-huh. kind of like central Idaho. Okay, right on. So. I'm sure you've seen, and you know, in that time frame, some pretty seedy folks try to get away with some uh, audacious wildlife violations i mean yeah it's uh it's an entertaining job for sure um idaho is a pretty good state to work in if uh if you like to hunt and fish and um but yeah i've uh, i've seen my fair share this was uh this this latest case was an interesting one um but yeah we've uh we've seen a lot <laughs> yeah yeah i've only ever been to uh boise and my uber driver he he was uh he was complaining about all the Californians moving in. So <laughs> we're seeing the same thing where I'm from in Texas. It sucks, but you know, yeah. you have this, these conservative values, uh, hunting and fishing state and uh, these people leave somewhere else that they've destroyed. And then they try to turn it into the place they just left. I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what the, what the stat is now, but I think Idaho is one of the, 
fastest growing states. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, I mean, I actually moved out here um, from Wisconsin originally from the Midwest. And, um, but I think Idaho outside of the West has a reputation of just, you know, it's the potato state. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, if we could keep that reputation, that might be good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people keep thinking that is, that's all we have here is potatoes and, and uh, just leave it at that. So, yeah. Yeah. And Vinny, are you a, a lifelong Idaho resident? Oh, heck no. I grew up in New England, lived in New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and I've been here 17 years. So you got the hell out. Yep. Yep. I wanted to guide hunters and I was riding bulls when I moved here. So that's what brought me out here. Okay, cool. Right on. Yeah. I had on this guy. I think he might've been the one. I think Joe Lobo actually sent me the link to the story and he was, um, he recently had his dog. He's from California. He transplanted to Idaho 20 years ago, but a mountain lion killed his dog in his yard and he ended up killing the mountain lion. Um, and anyway, he, we had a good conversation on that and, um, but yeah, he's, I think he's the guy that sent me the link to the story. So Vinny, huh. tell us about yourself as an outdoorsman. I know in our, our preliminary conversation, you said you do a fair amount of trapping. Yep. I, uh, pretty much hunted everything I could in all the different States I lived in, been trapping and hunting since I was a little kid with dogs and pretty much hunted everything that moved. I guided hunters back East for 10 years before I moved out here mostly in the state of Maine. And uh, when I moved out here, uh, after giving up the rodeo, I got back into landscaping, which is what I did back east for a living. And then um, I just hunted and trapped and fished for fun instead of for a job and uh, had hounds my whole life. I just put my last dog down last week. She was 13 Mm. and, you know, it was time, sad deal, but I did the right thing. But anyways, I just mostly focus on wolf trapping now. it takes so much time to do that that I gave up trapping all the other fur bearers. Uh, that wolf trapping is quite a rush when you catch them. Mm-hmm. I have uh, oh. I've caught a wolf in a trap in uh, British Columbia, but I, I did like a, a trip with with trappers. Like a they're actually moose guides, and they were like, "Where did all of our our moose go?" And so they they started trapping them. And then they figured out people would pay to go on that experience, and so I spent a week with those guys and. You know, we caught a wolf and some lynx and a wolverine, fisher, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, but the wolf was the thing that I wanted, you know, from Texas, obviously we don't have wolves. Hope it stays that way. Uh, but yeah. uh, but I did want to go up there and experience that. And, and on some level, you feel like you're doing your part uh, for conservation and, and management. Uh, how many wolves have you caught this season? Uh, four this year, and that's 11 for five years of trapping. So it's a lot of work and a lot of snowmobiling to look at empty traps. But again, when you catch one, it's <laughs> quite a rush. It's worth every minute of it. Yeah. 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 And does Idaho still have the reimbursement plan? Are you a part of that thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, F4WM, the Foundation for Wildlife Management. So um, I'm a member of that, and that's a great organization. But to tell you the truth, I'd do it for free. I, li- I just love it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it what do they – pay per wolf I, they probably have a limited amount of funds but i don't know what is uh what is the reimbursement structure anywhere from 500 to 2000 depending on what unit you catch it in um you know different units pay different amounts they're trying to pay bigger money in the areas that they're trying to control the wolves more 
um, trying to get more people to, into those units, and it seems to be working um, by the numbers. But um, so an a, a wolf averages about a thousand dollars. And what is investment. okay? So a thousand bucks, and then do you keep the pelts or do you sell them? Yeah, no, I I actually um, have a list of people that buy the wolves off off me. Um, I just bring it to the taxidermist and exchange phone numbers and the people have mounts done of what they want. So um, yes, you get to keep the wolf and you get the reimbursement. The reimbursement money comes from the Federation and mm-hmm. the, then I sell the wolves to just friends of friends, usually, you know, on a side deal. Okay. Yeah. So you are, so you're getting paid twice. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got it. I got it now. Kind of yeah. like a reward. Uh-huh. It seems like. Cool. Cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I what? called it that once, Chad, and they all frowned on me for calling it a no. I called it a bounty. I called it a bounty, and they didn't <laughs> like that term. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Are wolves the hardest animal to outsmart as far as trapping goes? Oh, in yeah. your experience? Oh yeah, hands down. Uh, the biggest problem with wolf trapping is keeping your gear operable all winter in these conditions up here, and then it's hard to catch a wolf when he's not there. It's not like when you're trapping beavers; you have a half dozen beavers swimming around that pond all night long, and you know, you, you set track, you're going to catch one. But when them wolves go down, you know, through this drainage last night and then they don't come back for four to six weeks or, or two weeks or whatever the time frame is, it's hard to catch them when they're not there. And then when they do come by, you better have your gear operable or you're going to miss them. So it's it's a whole bunch of hardships to it. But again, the reward of catching one is flawless. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chad, I assume that you like to big game hunt as well? Yep. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of it. Uh, I tried trapping one year and, uh, just realized it's not, it's not part of my, uh, it's not going to be part of my future. It's a lot of work. Uh And, um, yeah, but elk hunting, uh, I'm in a pretty good area for elk hunting, deer hunting. Um, but yeah, I've, I've done it all and, uh, it's, it's a good state to be in for a, to be a resident of uh, right now for over the counter tags and, um, like to bow hunt, you know, archery hunt for elk. Um, that's quite the rush, uh, getting them bugling. And, uh, but yeah, that deer that was, uh, Vinny was after. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've seen one like that on the, on the hoof. Oh yeah. It was a hell of a buck. And, uh, but, but here's what we'll do because I want Vinny to provide as much detail as possible on his multi-year history chasing this legendary Idaho whitetail. Uh, So we'll do that next. That segment was brought to you by Mossberg Rifles and the Patriot lineup, which uh, offers everything from a 22-250 all the way up to a dangerous game caliber in the 375 Ruger. So whether you want to plink prairie dogs or uh, put a big hole in a Cape Buffalo, they've got something for you and everything in between. You can find it all at Mossberg.com. We'll be right back. I'm ruling on the so Star fast show. now, like a bullet from a gun. Knowing there's just one thing I know that I just cannot run. I'm taking. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, 
Buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, They also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and its customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. There's a little Reckless Kelly bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always, and we are still visiting with game warden Chad Whipperman of Idaho Fish and Game, as well as lifelong outdoorsman, hunter, and trapper Vinny Renucci. And we will uh, get back into that conversation momentarily. This segment, though, brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Here's the thing you know, there's a misconception about SCI or Safari Club International, that it's uh, that it's just a bunch of rich, old, white dudes that go to Africa. And initially, that might have been true 30, 40 years ago. But uh, that's not who SCI is in 2023 because they do more domestically than any other hunting organization out there. They're protecting your hunting, your Second Amendment rights, your access rights, your fishing rights, right there in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill. So I encourage you to become a member, just like I am, because nobody puts their money where their mouth is, like SCI. So check it out, safariclub.org. With that being said, um, let's pick it back up with Chad and Vinny. And Vinny, I want to hear more about the relationship that you had with this monster mule deer, because uh, I think that is part of the reason why this was so upsetting to have this buck poached out from underneath you. So talk about the relationship that you had with this deer. Yeah, I hunted I saw him four years ago and then I hunted him, you know, I put the time into him for three seasons, which was a lot of summer trips and, you know, fall hunts and monitoring cameras um, so to answer your question, I'd say a solid three years of hunting him. I mean, I don't know what the genetics are like in that region, but um, well, this was a once-in-a-lifetime buck, you would say, for that area? If you hunt hard enough, you can maybe find one like that, but you got to hunt hard. And, um, yeah, it was a once-in-a-lifetime buck for 99% of the people out there. Mm-hmm. I had quite a bit of pictures of him, and he was always in a bachelor group of bucks, and you know, he was with decent bucks. I don't know if you can see that one on the wall behind me to my left. That, he was with them one year. I mean, respectable bucks, but he was just like the Michael Jordan of all, you know. I mean, the other <laughs> deer looked decent, but when you looked at him, they just put him to shame, you know. He, he, was, he, was another, he was in another class. And did you ever get close to killing him? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and the story I wrote, um, it's going to be in the Game Warden magazine. Uh, I had eyes on him i think it was 11 or 12 times and i think every time i had a weapon in my hand 
just making bad decisions, trying to be ethical, waiting for better shot opportunities, and just basically coming up empty. I mean, I was laughing. I thought I was a better deer hunter than I was proven to be because I screwed up on that deer so many times. But um, it was fun. You know, it was part of the fun of hunting him was having the opportunities. But uh, I kept telling myself, he doesn't know how lucky he is that I you know, made the mistakes I made. But whatever, again, it, you know, it's a lot of good memories and it was a lot of fun. It was just a shame it had to end the way it ended. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, now, are you primarily archery hunting or were some of these encounters with the rifle? <laughs> Sad to say I had a rifle in my hands a few times and, you know, that should be a no brainer, but, um, again, just made some mistakes that I just shook my head at on the way home from the hunt. Um, but yeah, I had a rifle in my hand, probably half those encounters. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> That's crazy that you've had that much interaction with this deer over the years and that you even killed one that was in his bachelor group that you have on the wall back there. Yeah. I killed one every year when I was down there, I just basically shot the wrong deer. Um, you know, I can make all the excuses in the world, but I shot the wrong deer for different reasons. And sometimes I'd be driving home. It was over six hour drive for me to go from where I hunted back to home. And Sometimes I came home a little depressed and bummed out and really I should have been smiling ear to ear, you know, with the buck I had in the back of the truck, but just knowing the one that got away, it's the official fish story, you know, just, it would kill me to drive home and leave that deer down there um, with the chances I had on him. So, so you only have one tag in Idaho for, for that unit or wherever you're hunting. I don't know. I don't know how, how that, I mean, Texas, we get five deer tags, you know, when we buy our license all for, you know, whitetail, um, yeah, Where you're you get, at though. It's one buck. It's yeah. You essentially, um, for residents, you get a deer tag over the counter. It's called the regular deer tag, and it gives you that. Um, you know, you can archery hunt, and then the season eventually turns to a rifle season, um, statewide. And then our regulations are pretty thick, and there's a lot of different seasons, but well, there's a lot of controlled hunts, which is like a drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, the the tag that we're talking about here with what Vinny had is, is a regular deer tag. And so you've got the archery season. That's usually, I think August 30th through September 30th. Mm-hmm. And then the rifle seasons in, in October. Okay. Right on, right on. Um, so talk about the day that you heard the rifle shot, the major heart sink. And I think that was in September of this past fall. Yeah, I was, um, I'll back you up one, I think it was one day prior. I hunted in the morning. I have different cameras down there and I hunted in one spot in the morning and saw some deer, but not him. So midday I was going down to check, actually it was that day, midday I was going down to check that camera to see what happened. And I bumped into him just, he was ready to cross the four wheeler trail I was on. And I spooked him back into where my camera was into a little basin down there. And just so happens he was on that camera in the morning while I was sitting at my other spot, you know, just same thing. I picked here. I should have been there. And that day that was around late morning, almost noontime. He wasn't spooked about, he just reversed his route, went back into the pool, he hung out and um, I let him be. I said, I'll just sit there in the evening and I know where they cross up out of there. It's a pretty short distance. It's like a bottleneck. So I, I said, I'll just sit there that evening and, you know, hopefully catch him coming out and then, there was like 10 minutes to six that night and uh, a rifle went off and he was probably 300 yards away from me. Of course, that scared the heck out of me because 
unbelievably, pretty much nobody hunts up there. Um, I never figured out why, but I just liked it. It was almost, you're almost hunting by yourself all the time up there. Mm. It's about 9,000 foot elevation and it's pretty, you know, so it's pretty high. A lot of guys won't put the effort to go up there. They've so do you, the so to interrupt you for one second. So when you're hunting there, are you backpacking in? Or are you camping at your truck or? I have a camp at the bottom of the mountain in Montana. I, you know, my, I bring a camper down with me and I stay there and I have to say, I ride my four wheeler up. I'm not going to hike that distance. Yeah. Um, but then I get off and I hunt, you know, I mean, I'm a hunter. I'm not a road hunter. Um, yeah. But that, just to get up in that elevation and just to be left alone was priceless. You know, the beauty mm-hmm. of it. Um, so anyway, Jess, so I was just sitting, you know, for an evening stand, figure catch idea when he's coming out, hopefully. And that gun went off and, you know, I jumped out of my seat and I thought maybe someone shot a bear or a lion or a wolf or that time of year, you can hunt with a rifle within one mile of cultivated uh, field. So I thought someone might've shot a cow elk and was just going to stretch the truth on where they shot it. But just knowing that deer went into that spot down there and it's pretty open country in there. It's an avalanche snowshoots, kind of like a meadow up on the side of the mountain. I, uh, I just knew my gut feeling is like, I bet you he shot that buck, whoever it was. And I'm glad I didn't go down there to investigate because I know myself, things probably would have went bad. Um, but that night I couldn't sleep at camp at all. So, um, I got up there the next morning. I didn't even hunt. I just headed right down in that drawer and found some boot tracks in the sand, which is weird because our forest floors are pretty much covered with pine needles. And then, uh, I figured whoever took that shot, that's probably his boot track. So I just kind of monkeyed around zigzagging down in that basin. And I came to a, um, drag mark where someone dragged out an animal. So I said, well, you know, whoever shot, this is it. So I backtracked it and found the gut pile and it was as big as an elk. Mm-hmm. Um, so just about, so I was like, that's a big deer. And I found that, you know, genitals. So I knew it was a buck. And I said, a, a gut pile that big is a huge animal. And I was like, he got him. So I, I followed the drag marks the way they went out. And I've seen where the guy loaded it on a four, a side by side and, uh, followed him out to the main skid trail or mining trail, whatever you want to call it. And he went down the mountain towards the Idaho side. So that's when I, I knew, you know, someone poached the deer and they headed for home. And so that's when you called Idaho fishing game. Yeah, I hunted uh, another, let's see, that was in the morning. So I hunted Saturday night and I had to listen to the Ravens eating that gun pile. Um, so that was just like pouring salt in a wound. Um, so I didn't even hunt Sunday. I was just depressed. So I called Mark Rhodes. He's out of the Coeur d'Alene district up here. I think he's the head warden up here, but kind of a friend. Um, so I didn't think he'd mind me calling him on a Sunday. I had to talk to somebody. I didn't know Chad's number. So I just went right to Mark and uh, told him what happened and, he was, you know, all ears for me, which I thought was, you know, very respectable and told me to come to his office at 730 in the morning. And that was even neat because they don't open till eight. So Mark was very helpful. And I basically gave him a written statement of what I'm telling you. And then um, he contacted Chad and then Chad contacted me immediately, which I thought was just great on Chad and Will's part, how much effort they put into it so quick. I mean, my story that's going in the Game Warden magazine starts off with the word wow, because I was just amazed at how good of a job they did how quick they did it uh-huh. um yeah i called chad and told him basically the whole story and um he said he'd get you know look into it and he called me that was a monday morning so he called me tuesday night and said he had a um guy in town that supposedly shot a big mule deer with a bow friday evening and I, you know i i said that's got to be him i mean how many guys are shooting big mule deer on the same night in the same town you know deer of that class and then uh he went and 
pursued that guy and asked a bunch of questions and um, the guy basically ended up confessing. I think Chad should take over from here because I don't want yeah. to say what. Yeah, we'll hand it off to Chad after the break. want to get his take on how they were able to connect the dots on who was responsible for killing this deer. That segment brought to you by StealthCam, the leader in trail camera technology and innovation. You can find their entire lineup of trail cameras and uh, cellular cameras right there at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to Armasite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at Armasite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike like the 640 contractor i've got the 320 640 even better you can find it all at armorsite.com i'm chris letzinger online sales manager at cinnamon creek ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club we're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges full pro shop and six different 3d courses cinnamon creek was designed by hunters for hunters Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Wow, we live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me, I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. They also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. Baby, I guess I'm all right. I'm just a little bit tired tonight. Getting over you has made a busy man of me. And there ain't enough dance halls in Texas. Keep a heart and mind occupied. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, Fun All Wrong. One of my favorites there from Roger Kreger, our very own Roger Kreger. Uh, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by NUMA, geared for the outdoors. Check out the Renegade Top if you haven't. It's perfect for turkey season. It's uh, breathable, but it's still going to keep you warm in the morning, keep you cool when the sun heats up. Uh, during the middle of the day when you're chasing those horny, did I say horny? Can you say horny on the air? I think you can. Uh, those lonesome, longing gobblers. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, it's the Renegade Top. It's also got a little quarter zip there for you, which I absolutely love. You can find the Renegade as well as their entire lineup at NumaOutdoors.com. 
With that being said, uh, let's get back into that conversation with Chad and Vinny. And, you know, we heard Vinny's, uh, the history he had with this buck. So let's turn it over to Chad. And uh, and as Vinny said, you know, there was a guy at a bar the weekend this buck was shot talking about this big buck he shot with a bow. Um, small town and a buck of this size. Word's going to get out. And these it seems like these poachers always have to run their mouths. But uh, the first thing you guys did was actually go to the gut pile that Vinny had discovered. Yeah. Yep. That was one of the first things we did just to try to recover any evidence that we could. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, pretty, pretty rough spot to get into. And, uh, but we made it in there um, and I had uh, Will, he was on field training with me. Um, so he was, he's a new officer. And uh, as part of our training program, he um, spent three weeks with me and it's a 10 week program, but um, this was, this was like his first uh, big game case. Uh-huh. as a, uh-huh. as a conservation officer. So it was kind of, it was kind of a, a big one for, you know, it's like, I don't know how many more like this you're going to get with, with yeah. this big of a deer, but anyway, yeah, we got to the gut pile first um, and it had been picked, picked pretty well clean, but you know, it told us that, you know, the deer was gutted there and, and loaded. And so, you know, we took DNA um, something that we always do. And just in case, and at that, at that point we, we didn't have a suspect at all. Right. Um, you know, and one thing that Vinny had mentioned to Mark was, uh, it's like this deer is big enough that somebody's going to talk, um, you know, words going to get out. But, um, I think there was, there was definitely some luck on our side of things, uh, to figure out this, this individual that, that killed that deer because he really didn't run his mouth. Um, he didn't really brag a whole lot about it. It was kind of a friend of a friend, um, that saw that deer and then word got back to my supervisor here in salmon and it was like that's got to be the deer you know they killed on friday you know the same time frame and it's uh stud of a buck and it's like that's got to be it so we uh yeah we picked it up from there so let me ask you do you have to tread lightly in those situations because all you have is a gut pile Here's and then here's a guy that shot a big deer, mm-hmm. but maybe he did it honestly. Maybe he did it the right way. Is that yeah. something where you have to tread lightly when you approach? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's uh, yeah, it's just kind of like you got to feel it out a little bit. And um, I mean, the circumstances it, line up that okay, that we're connecting the dots. Yeah, here, there's. Still, I mean, there's obviously, obviously, this this suspicion out there, right? It's like a giant mm-hmm. buck. But you're still innocent until um, you're proven guilty. Yep. Yep. Yeah. For sure. And, uh, you know, giant buck and rifle shot. And, uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, you're halfway there. It's like, that's, that's pretty good suspicion. Like mm-hmm. for Vinny and it, for Vinny to find the, the, the gut pile and, and realize it's, it's from a mule deer, it's not an elk and, uh, it's archery season. So it's like, yeah, we're just at least going to go in there asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, talking to this guy uh, who I, I actually knew this guy a little bit. This is a small town. Yeah. Um, I've met this guy before. I actually gave him a ride home one time because his truck broke down. <laughs> huh. So I, I had a little bit of a relationship with him before this. And uh, but, yeah, it was pretty evident once I got talking to him that. Um, I mean, he, he had shot this with the rifle. And but one of the clues was uh, he didn't 
he wasn't real familiar with his archery equipment. Like you told me uh, in our other conversation, like he didn't really even know what broadheads he was shooting. Every bow hunter, yeah, like is obsessive about the broadheads they and they know what their buddy shoots and what his buddy shoots and mm-hmm. you know i lost or somebody lost an animal with that broadhead i'd never shoot that broadhead or do you want to shoot expandables or fixed blades or you know what we all are very meticulous about our bow hunting setup some mm-hmm. some uh far more than others i'm probably yeah. on the least end of the spectrum but like i damn sure know what broadheads that i'm shooting and what grain they are and you know it's yeah. common sense everyone knows that yeah yeah he was i mean it was it was interesting the conversation pretty quickly was like well i had a right he he acted like he knew why i was uh calling him and it was like i had a rifle up there and it's like okay (laughs) go on (laughs) and uh but yeah we i mean ultimately our goal was you know the evidence is is the deer right Uh you know so it's like we got to get our hands on that deer um and uh, he, he tried to play it off that he didn't have it anymore that it wasted and it was like what <laughs> like we're, yeah. this is only a couple days old right like three days yeah. old how did it go to waste and and then it turned out he, he still had it um so that was just um it was a weird conversation and finally I, we got to his house and um what had happened was he had quartered it and i don't think he was planning on eating it because the meat had been basically tossed out um, ah. birds have been picking on it and okay well yeah, that's even yeah. that's another strike like yeah uh, cat, yeah he's kind of like feeding his cats with it and it's like wow um but obviously the, the the deer was holding the evidence that we needed and um and i think he he saw the writing on the wall so instead of trying to hide it even more he, he eventually came came clean about um shooting it but the the story was kind of a domino effect it was like at first he had a rifle and he uh but he didn't shoot it you know but he had a rifle and he also had a bow is what he was saying and he shot it with his bow um and then he said that he took a shot and that's the shot that Vinny heard and uh but he was shooting at a bear and trying to run this bear off supposedly and then it was like, well, I might accidentally hit the deer <laughs> with the <laughs> rifle, and it's like, wait, so so it is hit with the rifle or is it hit with the bow? And uh, yeah, but looking at the carcass, it's like there's no there's no arrow wound in this, and uh, it's like, well, maybe I missed it with my bow, and uh, yeah, so it was it was pretty entertaining on on my end of things. You know, back. if you always tell the truth, you'll never get caught spinning a web of lies. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, you. <laughs> he just dug dug himself a hole kind of and hard to get out of it but yeah we did recover um you know ballistic evidence in the deer and what is the poacher's caliber de jour here so that was a 270 uh-huh. that he was using and um, do you think he knew of this buck prior i mean Vinny, you said you're you go in there first of all kudos to you, you drive six hours to go hunt public land uh idaho's full of public land um but you love this place. There's not a lot of people in there. So do you think he knew about the deer? Yeah, that's another whole story for a different year. Um, I drive there just because I love that country that the mule deer are living down there. We do hunt mule deer up here in the panhandle up by Canada, but it's just thick, thick, straight up and down country. Uh, down there, it's more Western style hunting. I just love it. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, embarrassed to say this, but it happened. I didn't know he was there. I think that was two years ago. 
I actually know the guy that shot it also from this uh, situation. I, one of the afternoons I was watching that deer unbeknownst to me, sum up the whole story. I pushed that bachelor group. He was up there just driving around on his side by side and knew I was hunting there. So he saw where I was walking in. Um, anyways, he wanted to go see what I was, what, what I was up to. And unbeknownst to me, I pushed that bachelor group of bucks right on his lap that day. And he shot what I call the middle size one. Um, I actually have a picture of him with this deer, a couple pictures of that deer and him and his four wheeler. So when Chad told me who shot it, it's like, I know that guy. Oh. Um, again, you almost never even see a boot track up there. And me and that guy kind of crossed paths twice in three years. So that day he put eyes on that buck, the three of them were right together. And um, that would have been a legal kill if he shot it that year, because it was rifle season and he shot it with a rifle. But I don't know why he ended up taking the midsize one, which was a heck of a deer, probably score 160, 170. And, um, mm. you know, he didn't get the big one. But that's why I think he was up there poking around. He knew that deer was in that area also. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so you you guys confiscate the deer, obviously, and then I mean I'm sure, it, and it's in and a lot of this information is coming from uh, what is his name, Travis, uh, the guy that wrote the Field and Stream article. Y'all can check that out too. But I figured we just go into more detail here in a conversation conversation format. Um, what yeah. was the restitution like? And obviously the deer is confiscated. What happens to the deer once you guys have it in Texas? We have like a a wall of shame trailer that the game wardens take to different uh, hunting trade shows and stuff like that. I don't know what yeah. you guys do with them in Idaho. I mean, that deer's, um, I mean, so yeah, after it's, after the evidence is seized, we, we have a freezer and we keep all of our evidence in lockers in this freezer, um, you know, to preserve in case it goes to trial. And so that would be admitted as evidence in trial. You know, you can show the, you can show that there's a bullet wound. It's not a, there's no archery wound. Mm -hmm. um, it was never hit with the, I mean, I've had cases like this before where they stick an arrow in it after the fact, you know, they shoot it with the rifle and they stick an arrow in it to, to try to make it look uh, like it was an archery kill. But um, this guy just strictly shot it with the rifle. And so that would be admitted as evidence. And, uh, but since this, uh, it, you know, he, he did plead not guilty and then, they reached a plea agreement, the, the attorneys and, um, you know, he, he was, uh, ultimately changed his plea to guilty. And since this deer, our statute is if, if a mule deer scores over 150 points, uh, I think it's Boone and Crockett mm -hmm. scoring system. If it scores over 150, it's that trophy class. So that bumps the restitution up. So normally, a deer's restitution is $400, but with the trophy restitution, it's 2000. Mm -hmm. And there was no question that this deer was going to score over 150. So the, the civil penalty was, was a $2,000 civil penalty, which is a restitution to the state. Um, that seems light. Like in Texas, I know a guy who shot a deer in a high fence. So not even the state's property, right? It, legally it's still, owned by the citizens of Texas of Texas, but he had to pay $20,000 because the deer was 200 inches and it was a high fence deer, which was crazy. Huh. Uh, and this was a couple years ago, but I, you know, and he's been here in the studio to talk about that. You know, it wasn't a, he just didn't have a hunting license. He forgot. He thought since I'm hunting a high fence and private land early season, he should have had it. There's no excuse for that. And he was transparent about the whole thing. And, 
but ultimately, yeah, it was twenty thousand dollar fine. So two grand, good for yeah. him. He got off. I mean, that seems pretty. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I am, you know, I've, I've done this job long enough and, uh, you know, people, we do our job, right? And, and, and then we, we get the case to the, the prosecutor and then whatever happens from there on out is kind of out of our hands. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, people hire attorneys and <clears throat> they reach agreements to, to plead the case out. And, uh, and so that was the agreement that they made. Um, sure. I think he, you know, and I think that there was he some lost his hunting license for five years. Yeah, I it was, yeah, it was a five-year hunting license revocation, which, um, I mean, for <clears throat> for Idaho, I, I, that's you know, that's pretty substantial. Um, uh -huh. I mean, especially if you're someone that likes to hunt, then you live for hunting. Uh, sitting out for five years is pain. It's going to be painful. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of I, I read some of the online comments when some of these press releases go out, and it's it usually seems like there's an overwhelming um feeling out there that our, the sentencing is always too light yeah. um it's like why why this guy should have got a lifetime you know you hear you hear that a lot yeah I, I get it i mean uh it's it does seem a little light to me but hopefully that will be enough to deter him from doing it again we'll get Vinny's take since he's the one that was completely invested in the pursuit of this buck we'll, we'll get his thoughts on that and then uh, i think we'll wrap it up by discussing what is the trophy really anyway uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. And my good friends, Josh and Becky, got there over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Uh, we'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I think I'll have another round, set them up, my friend. Then I'll be gone and you can let some other food. Sit down. If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader? Check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat Compact Track Loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. La, la, amazing grace, a great hour. Whiskey Joe, the name of that one, from our good friend, Mr. Brad Hines, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, thank you so much for being here, as we are still visiting with Idaho 
game warden, Chad Whipperman, and uh, lifelong outdoorsman, hunter, wolf trapper, Vinny Renucci. Uh, we'll wrap up this, uh, well, at least there's a happy ending, right, to this poaching tale. Uh, but uh, we'll finish that up momentarily. This segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. You know, uh, Vortex has that 10% discount code through this show uh, when you shop at eurooptic.com and Eurooptic carries every one of their SKUs. So anything Vortex makes, you can find right there at Eurooptic. Use that promo code LONESTAR10 and you'll get 10% off your order. Okay, uh, well, Chad, you know we were talking about the punishment for this guy, uh, the poacher. His name is J.T. Johnson. We haven't even said his name. Really, that's insignificant. Uh, it's more about the story and hunters and game wardens working together. But yes, J.T. Johnson will have to pay more than $2,100 in penalties, court costs, uh, plus the restitution, and uh, and then lose his hunting license for five years. Yeah, I don't know. Seems kind of light. Let's get Vinny's take on that, though. I mean, do you think that that's a, a fair penalty for the crime? I believe if you're going to fight, hit, hit him hard. Uh, I don't, you know, Chad did a great job, and it is what it is, and the guy got caught. That is the bottom line to it. Hopefully he won't, if he won't do it again. That's what I hope for. You know, the heck with the fines and everything. If the guy does not do that again, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that could have been done, but I don't even want to go there. Chad did a good job. The guy got prosecuted. Um, you know, the woulda, coulda, don't matter. I'm just glad he got caught. It's amazing. And I hope the guy won't do it again. I, you know, you could say he should have done this. I wish he did that. I could talk for an hour about that. But the bottom line is it's, it's done and it's a successful case on the game warden's part. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. I, I kind of skipped over that lightly. Um, and I think that was a huge thing. Being long distance, um, talking to Chad just on the phone, um, we pulled up a picture of Google Sky Earths. I think it was Sunday or Monday night. Monday night, I think it was, after the issue. And it was a picture of Google Sky Earth of that avalanche shoot, I call it. And I pointed with a pen to the best of my ability where that gut pile was, you know, lower left corner. Took a picture of that with a cell phone, sent it to Chad's cell phone, and that's what he went up there in the pouring rain with Monday morning. And oh, wow. And, uh, Will. Yeah, so for them guys to take a picture, you know, kind of like that Mickey Mouse way of doing it and find that gut, what was left of the gut pile was, a, I mean, that was music to my ears when he called me and said that. So that's how good of a job he did. And I'm just, I'm got goosebumps right now talking about it. I'm just wowed by the whole deal on their end that they did what they did, how quick they did it. Um, it just shows how much they care about their job, Idaho's wildlife and the feelings and concerns of other hunters. I think they went over and above quickly and did a phenomenal job to get that taken care of um yeah i'm wowed by the whole deal so as yeah. far as to answer your question the guy got penalized yeah you know i thought of a half dozen ten other things i wished happened to the guy but i'm not a lawyer i'm not a game warden um <laughs> I, I was just a mad hunter you know but the bottom yeah. line is he got caught he got fined and hopefully he learns chad um going back to so where's the deer now do you, have, so, do yeah, you guys the, have a wall of shame or something yeah. Yeah. And um, sorry to not answer that before, but we That's do. Okay. And yes, yeah, so some of these, these, uh, you know, trophy animals that we do have a trailer that um, it's the citizens against poaching trailer. And that's where these mounts go. So that a deer of that um, quality is probably going to get um, some sort of tax that are going to be done. I don't know if it'll be a European or a shoulder mount, but um, it'll probably go in, in that trailer with the, with the story about mm -hmm. it. And then, yeah, as far as the, the meat and evidence go, um, 
like I said, that the the guy didn't take care of the meat. Yeah. So I mean, is that another ticket right there? It it could have been it, the 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 wording of that law is um, a little bit tough because um, I mean technically you could probably you know it's like if I'm gonna cut it up and feed it to my dogs or feed it to my cats you're you're still considered to have used it so the wording's a little tough on that one I mean we could have charged it and and seen where it went but um, we we just held off. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it was covered. There was, there was bird poop on it and from magpies and, and, uh, Gosh. you know, cats have been gnawing on it, but he, he was trying to say that he thought it smelled bad. And, uh, I mean, I actually cut into it and I was like, I, I still don't think it's bad, even though it's been sitting outside for three days in your yard. It's, yeah. uh, I still don't think it smelled that bad. It smelled like deer meat. And, uh, <clears throat> but because of the condition it's in, we're not going to donate that meat. Usually, you know, if we mm. season elk or a deer that's in good condition, it gets processed um, after the case and then it gets donated to charity. Um, so, right, right. Um, what percentage of your cases would you say are results of, of hunters in the field giving you guys a tip? Man, I, I could probably only speak for myself. Is um, it a common thing or a rare thing? I, or? I think, I think what I would consider my best cases, you know, um, all pretty much all come from someone giving me a tip, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> occasionally we'll stumble into something like this. Um, yeah. like a week after this case with, uh, Vinny, uh, my trainee and I, uh, Will and I stumped, we actually caught, um, <laughs> it was a guy from California, um, doing the same thing. He, he shot a, it was a small white tail with a rifle in the, in the archery hunt. So we, we just stumbled into that one without any tip, but, um, but yeah, I'd say 90% of the time, the best cases come from, from someone giving us a tip or a report. Well, you so. think about how vast these spaces, whether it's a County or, I mean, in Texas, we, the game wardens go by counties. I don't know what y'all's area regions are defined by, but uh, it's, it's sometimes millions and millions of acres and it's kind of almost like the hunters are your eyes and ears out there. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah Cause it sure. is just such a big area for two or three guys to cover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's relationships are pretty important with uh game warden and hunter uh, and fishermen, you know, I mean, we're all working together is, is the way I look at it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I hadn't, I had not met Vinny before, but you know, Vinny knew Mark, uh, one of our officers in North Idaho, and that was that connection. And Vinny having that relationship with Mark, um, you know, kind of led to how this all went down. Is you know, yeah. if, if if Vinny didn't have that relationship, or um, you know, he might not have ever called. So. And Vinny, kudos to you because I think a lot of, in even though they do give tips, a lot of them want to remain anonymous right and you you put your name out there you didn't care you were more than willing to do this interview uh so i appreciate that just from you know you being willing to do that and uh i think a lot of people just be like well what if the the poacher wants to do something to retaliate you know like i don't want to have my name out there but uh that wasn't your take so yeah i don't i don't fear him i mean if i ever see this guy i wonder what i'd say or do um, 
yeah, I don't know. I'm madder than mad still, but I'm trying to let it go. Um, and I'm not afraid of him or anyone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was a, it was a, it was like a war and I'm not afraid to win a lose a war, you know? Um, mm. so to get him prosecuted meant a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. So last question, what did the deer end up scoring? And it, I believe just based off the picture, it was still in velvet because it was, it, it yep. was a September archery season. He shot it with a rifle. Uh, how big was the deer? Yeah, we roughed it out at 180, but, um, with, yeah, we never had to actually get it officially scored because the, the plea agreement that they made, there was, they, they weren't contesting that it was over 150. Uh-huh. So it still has yet to be officially scored. Um, but we roughed it out at 180. So I'm trying to, Vinny, do you remember what I said the spread was on that? The, the uh, not I thought it was like 25 and three quarters inside, but that could be wrong. Yeah, I think it was, that. yeah, around 25, 26 inside yeah. spread, I think. Right on. So, well, big old mule deer buck. Uh, I'm glad there was a happy ending. Well, none of it's really happy. Uh, Vinny, you'd still like to be hunting that deer maybe next season. Um, or maybe yeah, you would have got him later with a rifle this season. That's what I was hoping for. I actually had him in my sights open at night at uh, 35 yards, and I practice at 40. I'll shoot up to 50, and I had him at 35. I didn't really want to shoot him in velvet. Um, I was hoping to get him with a rifle when he was out of velvet. You know, just I appreciate the mounts better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I passed up that shot in the bats of bucks that were with him were 23 yards from me. And the wind swirled unbeknownst to me. They caught my scent and the whole batch of them was gone in the blink of an eye. But that was how I was open at night. I had him at um, that distance. I could have taken him. But again, one of the mistakes, or I don't know if it was a mistake or not to pass up a shot, um, you know, well, what you uh, can't control is the wind swirling, which I know from experience in the backcountry. <laughs> so many times, oh, yeah. there's a there's an elk. I'm stalking him. Boom! Wind shifts, thermals go uphill or downhill, and you're screwed. Yeah, that's the My way it works in the mountains, especially. Yeah, up there, especially when you're at that height. Um, my archery season was mostly just keeping tabs on him, and you know, if I had the opportunity, I would have took it. But I was just basically doing my scouting and getting out there and i was planning on hopefully getting him with a rifle but again mm. you know i made my mistakes i had my chances so i can't complain i yeah. was hoping to get the antlers at the state auction and uh do a european mount of them and then put some photos like in a circle or a square around the mount of him alive because i have so many and i you know would have been the deer i almost got or something but like chad said they're going in the citizens trailer so hopefully they come to court lane this fall and i can check them out there Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest, uh, biggest whitetail I've ever hunted was on a 20 acre piece here in North Texas. And so he would just pass through. He didn't live there. It's only 20 acres, but he was there regularly. And the, the, <clears throat> the morning of Halloween, I sat in the, in a pop-up blind and I got out to take the kids trick-or-treating. And while I'm trick-or-treating, I get a picture sent to my cell phone and there he was. That was the only chance I would have ever had to have killed him. (laughs) But my kids were happy. They got a lot of candy. It was fun hunting down there. I mean, just to see that deer so many times. He was in one of two areas almost all the time. So if he wasn't in my spot up higher, I'd go down that little basin. And, you know, he was so predictable. It's amazing he lived that long. But his genes are there. There's some other good bucks there every year. So, you know, maybe next year there'll be something better. But that's one I'll just never forget. And you know, yeah. always compare a deer to him, but oh, absolutely. it all, it ended 
uh, one thing I didn't like, someone commented on the Field and Stream article there saying, basically, oh, I'm just a trophy hunter, this and that. It's like, I want people to know I eat anything I shoot. I don't waste anything. So, you know, you get all sorts of comments. You'll never be able to control them. But for a guy to say, like, I'm just a trophy hunter, you know, that's all I'm out for. It's like I'm out for the whole scenario, the hunt, the challenge, the meat, the trophy, you know. Um, that was kind of a slap in the face when the guy said that, but I guess I'm going to get lots of those over the well, next half a year. You know what? They've taken that word trophy hunter and turned it into something nasty that it's not intended to be. I'm a trophy hunter. I've got a trophy room full of mounts. You've got beautiful ones displayed right there in your house. But a trophy hunter just means you're pursuing the oldest, most mature male of a species who's sowed his wild oats. You know, he's passed down his genes and now you are trying to outsmart him. And if you can, yeah, that's an, that's an accomplishment. And it's the experience, yeah, and the obviously is part of the trophy too. Yeah, so, I'm a trophy. I don't care. But like you said, it's the whole the whole thing is the trophy, the experience, the meat, the, the rack is a nice bonus. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, trying to match wits with a buck that's eluded hunters for who knows how long. I mean, that's that's the accomplishment. That's the trophy when you finally put your tag on them. Yeah, I just shook my head a lot of the times after the chances I had at him. I just couldn't believe. You know, as I couldn't believe what just happened. You know, I missed him again. I missed him again. You know, just it was like a cartoon or a movie. Just uh, being <laughs> that deer. You know? yeah. Um, yes, it was fun. And I, I can't thank Chad enough. I mean, he's he's been so professional and such a good guy. Just all the conversations <clears throat> we had from day one till right up to listening to him today. I mean, uh, just what a great example of game warden. I mean, I've met yeah. a lot of them in my life, states I've lived in and Chad's a class act. Uh, I can't wait to meet him in person. Yeah, I <laughs> appreciate it, Vinny. Thanks. Well, well, thank you guys very much, Chad. Vinny, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I hope you have a great – I don't know. What do you do in the spring? Do you all hunt bears, or what's next for you? Yeah, so in salmon, we've got uh, steelhead coming uh, coming through, um, which is kind of – maybe people don't realize this, but, yeah, Idaho is an inland state, but we have anadromous – ocean going fish that come in Idaho to spawn. So we've got steelhead coming through right now. Um, so that'll, that'll get busy here. Um, and then yeah, spring bear will pick up in May. Right on guys. Well, thanks again for your time. I certainly appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks cable. So there you have it. The tale of one of the largest mule deer bucks ever poached in the state of Idaho. Uh, I just love how the game wardens worked with, uh, Vinny in this case to, get their man. And, uh, and like Chad said, that happens, uh, with most of their tips. So y'all keep doing what you're doing. Keep other hunters honest and playing by the same rules as we do, uh, because that deer was poached out from underneath Finney. And as you could tell, he's still bitter about it as he should be. And, and while I've never been in that situation, um, we've had poachers on our, uh, on a place I used to lease in Oklahoma, got trail camera pictures of them. I plastered their faces all over social media Within 24 hours, we knew exactly who they were. Game wardens were called. They were prosecuted. And to my knowledge, they never came back on the property. It was sad, though. I mean, one of them was only 18 years old, uh, but the law is the law. And just like Vinny said, if he never does that again, then it was well worth it. Uh, and they didn't lose their their hunting licenses, but they did have to pay uh, a significant fine, and as they should have. They, they knew better. Uh, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that kind of behavior. So uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Big and J Whitetails, which uh, certainly brings the big bucks out. But, you know, they also have Hogs Hammer It, which is their feral hog attractant. So 
If you're looking for something to bring in that big old nasty boar that's been rooting around your place, check out the Hogs Hammer It. You can find it at places like uh, Walmart or Tractor Supply or at BigAndJ.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Gotta go. Gotta get out of here. Thanks to both Chad and Vinny for their contributions to today's presentation. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Everybody love me quite like she can. And it natural like I want her to be. She made me feel like a hell of a man. Texas woman.